you'll remember that Canto 3 ended with Virgil and Dante rather too absorbed in the talk coming from King Manfred, and Canto 4 opens with that too. But it leads Dante, the poet, to offer a reflection on becoming absorbed distraction, which sets up, I think, a theme for this canto, which is the beginnings of becoming reorientated to this new world that they find themselves in. I think particularly Virgil will see in this canto, it's not that he knows everything about it at all, he's definitely learning, but he knows that he's learning, and that is the, the best orientation to have. Um, he's beginning to find a way in this world. Um, whether or not Dante is, we'll ask as we look at what happens. It actually begins with Dante the poet offering a reflection about the nature of the human soul. And it was a bit of a medieval discussion. Um, remember, the soul means the capacity really for experience, for feeling alive, for feeling animated. And um, it's that part of ourselves, um, as it were, that lies within um, the physical body and reaches to um, the spirited nature of reality itself. And Aristotle had argued that human beings actually have three souls, by which he means meant sort of three capacities um, to experience life. Um, he thought that one of them is a bit like the plants, um, which is just sort of the sheer desire for life. Um, one of them is a bit like the animals, which adds in an element of choice and will. You know, animals, as it were, can decide where to go, whereas plants tend to stay in fixed places. Um, and then um, human beings are able to use another quality of intelligence, meaning the capacity to imagine different futures. Um, so we can not only, as it were, react in the present moment, but look for other possibilities. Um, not saying that other animals can't maybe do this to some degree, but we can certainly do it to very substantial degrees. You know, we can make whole new worlds out of our imagination rather than living in the natural world. Um, so Dante the poet says that although Aristotle had said there are three qualities of inner life, you might say, um, he thinks there's just one. Um, it's unified. Um, I think this is the new dispensation, um, the shift of consciousness that has occurred from the ancient world into the Christian view of things. Um, in particular, it's now very clearly a monotheistic perception of what underlies all reality um, that was still evolving in Aristotle's time. And um, with um, the capacity to perceive the one God comes the capacity, I think, to integrate oneself inside as well, to see how all things might weave together. Um, that, if you like, is the vision that has grown up from within human beings. Um, that's part of what the new Christian era means. Um, and so Dante, the poet, is now saying, look, no doubt the soul can appreciate all sorts of dynamics and energies in life, but it has the capacity to integrate and bring all these things together um, under the, the vision of unity um, that we now see um, throughout the cosmos as a whole. And so he's wanting to distress, to stress um, that uh, possibility now. 
And it's of significance, it's not just, as it were, a random metaphysical explanation, because they have become distracted by Manfred. Um, it's as if their one soul has been completely taken over by this one individual. And in a way, that is the great risk of the new perception, um, that uh, if we can bring our lives together um, into an integrated whole, to become individuated, to use the Jungian phrase, there's a risk that we individuate around the wrong things, around distractions, around goals which aren't all that we might be. Um, you know, that might happen in life when you realise you're in the wrong job, um, you've made mistakes that just aren't for tomorrow, but have profoundly shaped a whole chunk of your life. Um, and so have to try and work out how to sh change things. Um, and of course, now in the purgatory, we're taking a kind of heavenly perspective um, and the possibility is raised that the individual might give their whole life to the one thing that is the mistaken thing. And so now in purgatory lead, needs substantial time to reorientate itself, to realign itself. The implication is that is what Manfred is about. Um, it, it, it's worth reflecting on a little bit more because um, when I was reading it, it reminded me of how nowadays the state of flow is often quite adulated, as if this is one of the highest states that human beings can hope for in this life. You know, flow meaning absorption in an activity or task so that you forget yourself and afterwards you realise profound satisfaction and contentment it brought. Now, I've no doubt that's true, but in a way, Dante is now saying, but be careful what you get absorbed in, what gives you flow. Um, flow is not an end in itself. Um, it is a means to another end. And you've got to ask, you know, what end is that I'm focused on? What end have I got absorbed in that seems to be delivering so much happiness here and now? But who knows where that might leave me later on in life, let alone in the hereafter. Um, so it's a question mark over that modern wisdom implicitly. Um, I think Dante is stressing something which um, we've already said, we're going to say many times again, that really the task for a human being is to align their will, their love, their desire, their sight, their knowledge around the fullest experience possible um, in all reality, which is what Dante and Virgil are now beginning to step towards in the positive state of purgatory for all its struggles. Um, another little thought I had when thinking about what has absorbed them so much about Manfred, um, you'll remember that Manfred um, had his kind of um, slightly crackpot theories about how purgatory works. In particular, he wanted um, the fine prayers of his grand offspring um, to carry him more fully to heaven. Um, there's an element of truth in that, which we're going to unpick a little bit more, um, but it's got rather overwhelmed by, in this case, Manfred's grandiose sort of view of himself and his life, which is why he's down in this lower state of purgatory, kind of working that through. Um, but, it, you know, it made me think about how we still live in times where many people are searching for a deeper wisdom about how to live life, um, particularly perhaps as the traditional wisdom traditions have withdrawn to some degree in many parts, certainly of the Western world, you know, like Christianity. 
Um, and that leaves a bit of a space for all sorts of um, alternative wisdoms um, that might fill the vacuum. And so I think this is also a bit of a warning to you know, just be careful what wisdom you hear, what wisdom you grab onto. Um, is it really worked through? Is it really rooted in reality? Has it really come from, you know, many, maybe many lives uh, working at it to refine it, to really discern its truth? Or is it just the idea from one life that in a way has gone rather wrong um, and is now being sort of offered to you? Beware crackpot wisdom, you might say. Um, and, you know, it's one of the reasons why it's worth going on this really quite long journey trying to understand the divine comedy. Um, this is not uh, 10 tips and tricks to get you through life. This is precisely trying to work through things at their deepest possible level, undergoing the whole odyssey, seeing all things um, in order that the whole of one's life might be at least know how to reorientate a little bit better towards that which can bring us the greatest satisfaction, the greatest sight, the greatest love, the greatest joy. It's actually an old insight. Um, some of the commentators on this canto um, point out that the word that Dante uses for marvel when Dante the Pilgrim is marvelling at Manfred is also the word that Augustine used when he made one of his best-known remarks, which is that people will marvel at mountains and forget to marvel at themselves. Um, this sense that we can get distracted by even quite amazing things in life, um, but forget to do, as it were, the work on ourselves, um, which comes from realising um, the marvels that we are, as well as the world around us. Anyway, all this is rather quickly interrupted because very suddenly um, they come across the path that they need to take. Um, it's a very narrow cut up the mountainside. Um, Dante says that he said, well, you could hardly um, pull it apart even if you had a fork, like trying to sort of get your way into a thicket. Um, they could easily have missed it, which again carries the spiritual significance that, um, in fact, in a way, it's not the grand theories, it's not the great ideas that really matter in life. What matters is the next step. Um, it might be quite a small step. It might be a step that you would otherwise meet, but it's only in the present moment that things can really change. Um, the thing that people in hell just didn't understand at all with their preoccupation with the past and the future. Um, so now here in Purgatory, their first really deliberate step up the mountain comes all of a sudden they might almost have missed it, um, but they do have it spotted for them. So having found the narrow gate, the road less travelled, they leave, it says, the flock behind. They leave the kind of mass herd with its uh, group mentality that made it difficult for the individuals to find their own way. They find their own way and they start to climb. And it's enormously steep indeed. It's described as being as steeper than uh, 45 degrees even. And Dante, the pilgrim, particularly uh, finds it almost too arduous. Um, remember, he's got his physical body in um, this new world. And um, in a way, it talk, that, that implies that um, with still being alive, he's still got the preoccupations of material life. Um, he's still feeling the effects of gravity. 
um, meant in this um, psychological and spiritual sense. Um, and it really uh, bears down upon him now. Um, but at the same time, this is the first moment in the poem where something new occurs to him, which is that he longs to fly. He has a huge desire to be able to sprout wings and just sail up the mountain. And although this rather tortures him, this thought at this moment, because he can't do that, um, it's um, got a good side because you know, that's precisely what is going to happen to him. Um, he, you might say, is becoming more aware of levity, um, this opposite force to gravity. Um, levity being the force that spirit and fire and air knows that naturally rises towards the divine as opposed to water, earth, materiality, which um, uh, goes to the, to the lowest place. And um, so, again, it's, you know, it, it literally happens to him in the poem. It describes him both feeling the effects of his body and wanting to be able to fly, the frustration of that. And yet in the middle of that frustration is actually um, uh, the light of tomorrow because flight is precisely what is going to enable him to sail into paradise. But it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen spontaneously. Um, he has Virgil, his guide, to help him at this point. Um, he actually describes Virgil as being um, his light. And when he wants to rest, Virgil um, inspires him with encouraging words, as it were, gives him some of his spirit um, to get that extra energy to push on until they eventually reach a ledge. And when they stop, um, Dante says to Virgil, my goodness, you know, if this goes on all the way up, as far as I can see, I'm never going to make it. And Virgil then explains something um, about this mountain, um, which is that the higher you climb, the easier it gets. Now, it's really interesting to ask, you know, how does Virgil know that? Because remember, he hasn't been here before. No one has told him that. Um, he himself has intuited that. And I think, again, it's one of these little signs that Virgil, too, is in purgatory, not just to accompany Dante, but to undergo his own transformation. And he is beginning to learn the lessons of purgatory. Um, he is beginning to realise that whilst in the previous cantos he felt the terrible weight um, of his um, life's loss, that um, he didn't understand the ways of the cosmos in the way that he thought he had, having entered that lament um, and even feeling that despair, that's actually freed him up a bit uh, for a new thought to come in which he offers to Dante now, which is trusting levity. I think that's how Virgil knows that it will get easier up the mountain the further they climb, because he's remembered that it's not just gravity that pulls one down, but the levity which lifts one up. And he's beginning to experience that. You might say that he knows something about the ways of heaven, and he's offering that to Dante now, which I think bodes well for his future. You might say that this is what hope is in this life. It's not what psychotherapists sometimes call a flight to health, um, the kind of willing, desiring that actually everything is good, everything is fine, everything is love, everything is light, and there really is no suffering at all. Um, it's actually being able to be in the suffering and still know that there's more than just the suffering. And that is, I think, a key learning from purgatory intimated by Virgil now.
And he goes on um, talking to Dante because Dante then notices something else. Um, again, noticing things is always good. Um, asking a question. And what he's noticed, actually, is that the sun is to their left. And this strikes Dante because normally in the morning, when they were in the northern hemisphere, remember they're now in the southern hemisphere, the sun would be to the right when they looked north in the morning. Um, and Virgil uses this as an opportunity um, partly to give uh, Dante another lesson in uh, astronomy, um, but I think also this time it's got a bit more of a sense of giving Dante time to reorientate himself to this new world. You know, it's it's rather lovely, actually. Dante is deeply familiar with the skies. And when you have some familiarity with the skies, um, it is a profound um, way of feeling at home in the world, uh, you know, orientating yourself against the movement of the planets and so on. So when things are different, because you're in a different world, um, that can be profoundly disturbing. But Virgil gives Dante a lesson in where various constellations move, um, uh, it's also got a slight um, shadow side because he talks about Phaeton um, who rode the sun chariot through the sky and had to be um, cursed by Jupiter because he was going to burn all of the earth um, in his reckless driving. So it's got a kind of uh, um, be careful feel to it as well. Um, but I think what uh, Virgil's doing um, at a sort of more subtle and deeper level um, is helping Dante to reflect on time as well. Because Dante's experience of time, of the day, um, which is very much felt for him through the movement of the sun and the stars and the planets, um, is now different. And having a different experience of time actually is the beginnings of getting a an experience of eternity, kind of transcending time but without losing touch with the experience of time. It's a way you might say of bringing time into eternity. Um, you know, this is something which we all can experience, that um, you'll know that some parts of the day drag, some parts of the day go speedily, some parts of the day, uh, you know, you don't want to end because they feel um, so good, other parts of the day you can't wait for them to be over. We're constantly experiencing time in different ways, in fact. Um, it doesn't just tick like the clock. Um, but when you contemplate that, when you meditate upon that, that also gives a sort of third position where you can almost um, step outside of time as you look onto an experienced time. It's the beginnings of a sense of eternity inside oneself. And I think that that is what Virgil is implicating for Dante here um, with this new sense of time because they're in a different world, a different part of the world. They are then interrupted rather comically again, as Virgil's giving his deep lesson on time. A voice calls out and says, so have you got it yet? And they've come across a group of souls a little bit further up the mountain. Um, these are called um, the souls of the indolent, um, the lazy. And it's rather um, a touching uh, section of the canto, um, partly because Dante recognises a friend of his in life, another musician, in fact, um, the lute player, Balacqua. And um, Dante says, oh, good, I don't have to worry about your ultimate fate now that I know you're here. Um, they josh a bit about um, Dante's seriousness in life, Balacqua's enjoyment of life. Um, but Balacqua then sort of intimates what was the deeper problem with 
um, purely enjoying his earthly life, um, which was that um, he was a late penitent. Now, that is the kind of Christianity stroke church 101 um, understanding um, that, um, you know, don't leave your penitence too late. Um, don't think that you can just do it at the last minute. That's the formulaic understanding, the rather mechanical means of grace. Um, but it's got a deeper wisdom when you think about it that um, this life, you might say, is preparing for the next life. Um, and that um, if you have used this time well, um, which is also a deeper enjoyment, a deeper um, delight um, being born in you, um, then you won't have to put the many years um, in that Black was now having to put in on the mountain of purgatory. Um, so it's not just a kind of puritanical condemnation of laziness. Um, it's really, you know, asking yourself, what do you really want um, to seek in this life? And what joy can you really have in this life? And then Balakwa makes another comment, which um, he's speaking from his state of mind um, in purgatory, but enables us to reflect a little bit more on what might be behind his um, thought. He says, um, you know, and don't forget to ask people to pray for me, because he says the prayers of the heart aligned with grace, the prayers of the heart that's in heaven, can lessen my time here on purgatory. It's the second time that we've come across this idea that prayers from people on earth can reduce the time in purgatory. Again, that's the rather formulaic understanding. Um, but it's we learn a bit more now because Balakwa has put it in this slightly different way. Um, you remember that Manfred had said, um, you know, may the prayers of my, my, my queenly um, offspring uh, ease my time in purgatory, the rather grandiose version of the doctrine. Balakwa has now realised a little bit more. He's realised that it's not actually just the high and mighty that prayers of their, their prayers can ease your time in purgatory. Um, it's rather that the prayers of heart aligned with grace, aligned with heaven, can help. And that's an insight that actually rather chimes with the deeper wisdom of the canto, which has been about reorientation, about use of time, about deeper perceptions of reality. Because, I mean, we'll put it like this, that, you know, it's sometimes said you always get what you pray for. And that is the insight that maybe not very consciously, um, our desires are hoping and yearning for certain things in life. Um, and that means that those things will, you know, tend to come towards us um, by a combination of us stepping towards them as well as perhaps them drawing towards us. Um, and so it's um, intimating here um, that it's worth really asking what you pray for in life. Is your prayer, you might say, aligned with these greater possibilities? Is it aligned with grace? Or is it a bit like um, Balak was just aligned with the desire to enjoy the day um, in a, you know, perhaps a pleasant but more shallow sense? Um, Helen Luke, in her commentary, when she talks about this, she actually um, recalls the story of the Chinese rainmaker. Um, whom the whole country comes to because there's a drought and asks him to pray for rain. And what he actually does is pray for nothing at all. And in praying for nothing, that, en that helps him to enter his own state of mind and to feel the heavy atmosphere, to feel the dryness of his soul. Um, and in 
contemplating that, it becomes enriched, it becomes revivified once again, and rain comes and fills the whole land. Um, so I quite like that idea that uh, maybe the deepest prayer is just to look into our souls and see what's there. Um, and it's that seeing and that noticing itself, which is the prayer that can then become aligned to heaven, aligned to grace. Um, and of course, in purgatory, it's seeing what's in your soul consciously that the souls are really about. Um, you know, in hell, they are trapped by what's in their soul, but they don't see it. In purgatory, they start to see what's in their soul. And that seeing is what enables them to make the climb, um, to harness the powers of flight, desire and levity in order to make it to heaven. So Black was, you know, half understood comment is the, the prayers of the righteous that have good effect. Um, has a deep um, side to it as well, which we can tease out thanks to what Dante the poet has himself worked through and offered us now. And that brings the canto to an end. Um, Virgil says, come on, we must now climb a little more. Um, I think he doesn't want Dante the pilgrim uh, getting too absorbed once again, this time by the charming but seductive indolence of Balacqua. Um, he makes one more comment about how now the sun is at the noon point and they must push on. 